We're going to keep running too. Thanks. You rolling? Uh, yeah, we've been recording for the last 22 minutes. Is that right? No. <laughs> 10 seconds into it, no. All right, all right. After you just revealed your deep, dark secrets. <laughs> 16 seconds in. I seven, just need to get seven, off my chest. <laughs> 20 seconds. 20 seconds. <laughs> 22 seconds into it. This is exciting. 25. I hope you keep doing that. <laughs> I will. We should count down. It's my favorite. Yeah, right. <laughs> or you can have like a loud beeper every five seconds. Beep. <laughs> uh, just, as, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. We are now at Romans 128. Um, just to kind of recall where we've been. My page, dude. Great. This is it. This is it. Um, he introduces himself to the Romans, and he says that he's really excited to come meet them because he thinks that he can give something to them that's going to build them up, and he thinks that they have something that's going to that's going to be able to build him up as well. And he's particularly excited. He's particularly excited in terms of the gospel because he believes that that is going to build them up. And he says that that is that the power of God to save is through the gospel because the gospel creates only trust in God. And that trust in God is how the faithful will live. Go ahead. Go ahead. We're going to have a, a Cracker Jack break here. <laughs> the segment's brought to you by Cracker Jack. Tasty <laughs> morsels. Outstanding. I got the ring in the bottom of the box. <laughs> I wanted a tattoo. Sorry. Sorry. Um, You're doing fine. Minute 57 in. Minute 57. <laughs> Ding. Um, so, he went through... And then he began to explain the other side of that coin. So on the one hand, you have people who live by faith in God. And then he went on to describe what the other side of that coin is, starting in uh, verse 118, talking about how the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness, which is again a, a lack of proper awe and a reverence for God, and unrighteousness, um, which is to literally do, do uh, un something that is unjust. And that a lack of awe and a lack of sense of justice is, in fact, what it means to not have faith. If you don't have faith in God, what represents your actions is a lack of awe and a lack of reverence for God, proper, proper glorification of Him, and acts of unrighteousness. And then he goes on to use, I believe he uses homosexuality as a, temper, as a template to explain what this looks like, because it is so self-evidently against the design of the human body. That he would say, people would choose to do this even though it is self-evident that the design is something else. And so, he used that as a template to explain that. And now, I believe, he is moving on to a hinge of this entire discussion. I believe that at this point, at 128, he is, he is in fact moving on to say, and this same insanity comes with all other sins. Because we're going to see in 129, 130, and 131, he gives this huge list, which we've already kind of discussed, this huge list of all these different sins, and he's basically making the equivalency between the homosexuality that he talked about initially and all these other sins and saying, this is the same insanity manifesting itself in different ways. Okay? And here's why I think that. 
in, at the beginning of 24, if you look at the beginning of verse 24, it says, therefore God gave them over. And at the beginning of 26, it says, for this reason God gave them over. They're slightly different words, but they basically mean the same thing. They're pointing back towards something previous. They're saying, this is what we're, so for this reason, the thing that I was just talking about, therefore, because of the thing I was just talking about. Now here, the word is slightly different. The word says, even as, or just as, at the beginning of 128. Now, this is not saying, as a result of what follows from before, at this point he's saying, in the same way that we've already witnessed, this is happening here. <clears throat> he is making the equivalency. Now, listen carefully. This is really important, because being able to read the Bible well is so important in understanding this. Because a lot of times people talk about the flow of the whole thing, and that 128 is the next part of the process, and that all those other terrible behaviors follow from homosexuality. But I believe he's saying, in the same way, just as those that like progression of insanity follows from 120 through 127, mm -hmm. just as it follows from that, he says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Saying, now you might say, now wait a minute, what's the them? Is the them the previous them, or is the them this particular them? Now, just did that just slide right by people? Mm -hmm. When he says, like when you use, when when you see a a pronoun in the in the especially a pronoun in the text, you have to look at that pronoun and think, what is that pronoun referring to? So if you say them, which them are we talking about? Now, you could say it's the same them that he talked about through the homosexuality thing, or you could say it's the same them that he originally referenced back up at 118, saying the wrath of God is being revealed. Okay? You could say either of these things. And the reason that I think it references back up to 118 and 119 and not to the homosexuality section is because he says just as. It is not like this happens and then that happens. Mm -hmm. It is saying, in the same way that it happened here, it's happening here. All right? I think this is really important because so often this is used as a, this is, it's, it, Romans 1 is made into something that is going to exclusively speak to homosexuality in our culture. And homosexuality needs to be addressed in our culture. But so do all the other sins. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point Paul is saying, and, and all that crap that you guys too... The same insanity that I was just talking about, that you're all sitting around like nodding at each other and saying, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. You're doing it too, hmm. but in these different ways that I'm talking about in 129. So in 129 he goes on and mm -hmm. says, uh, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. He's covering all of his other sins. And as a process, he is saying, again, just as just as there is some insanity that follows from the idolatry of homosexuality, there is insanity that follows from the idolatry of all these other unrighteousness as well. Okay? I really, I really think that's important. I don't think the hymn starts at 2-1. I think at 2-1, at, at the beginning of chapter 2, I think he begins kind of lecturing everybody, saying, so you people who think you know better, you are in fact representative of the problem because you think you know better you're still falling prey to your own sins. You are representative of that insanity because you're doing it and yet you're speaking against it. Mm. And it's destroying your mind. It's destroying your soul. Do you think he's almost saying we are all level? 
that you may be doing this thing that's obviously wrong, but you guys are all screwing up to try to kind of dispel that I'm a religious leader, I am better than you, I know more than you, I am I am more I'm closer to God than you are. It feels like he's trying to just cast his blanket that we're, we're all even and whether or not our sins super obvious or not, we all have it. Excellent. I think I, I not only do I think that that's exactly the case, but then at the beginning of two he goes on and he's talking to people who specifically in some way or another have some moral vision that allows them to know better and they're still doing it. He's mm-hmm. saying, so these other people are doing it because they're just completely given over to it. It doesn't make it unsinful. It just means that that's, that's what they're doing. But you seem, to, you seem to think that you know better and you should do something different and yet you're not. He's almost saying you're in worse shape yeah. because you know better and you're not doing better. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Do you think so? What do you think that it means when it says being filled with all unrighteousness? Does that describe one person being filled with, or does it describe a um, group of people? I because I was I was thinking that um, could, could, I, I'm not sure where that is. I oh, is it not in your 29, 29, 29, 29, 29, 29. Okay, yeah, great. Filled. I thank you. Being filled uh, because someone could be a. Someone could be disobedient to parents, but they're not necessarily filled with all unrighteousness. Right. So. Um, I, th- I think, okay, so just thinking through that, being filled with all unrighteousness, let's, let's kind of think through this a little bit. And anybody else has any thoughts? Let's just, kind of, let's just kind of talk about it a little bit. Do those things, which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness? Um... I think uh, in 28, this almost goes, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, going back to what we had originally said uh, in 1, 3, 1, 4, you know, the Arizzo thing, mm-hmm. um, and us all being wicked at heart, and, and, and by God's grace, we're being constrained to do right, okay. right? So, reference the their foolish hearts were darkened. Up in twenty twenty one, okay. twenty two, their foolish hearts because they were already foolish. Their hearts were foolish. Okay. So then we go debased mind. God gave him up. He's, he didn't constrain them right. to do things that were good. Therefore, they were totally debased. Sure. Totally. So. So completely, totally debased, and nothing constraining them from being completely evil. Okay. And so being filled, I think in that sense, would be the same, just from what I read, would be the same thing as being turned over and being allowed to be sinful. Okay. Completely. Your foolish minds were dark, and your, your debased mind was in full effect. Okay. Good. Could this have the, kind of the idea that if you sin in no matter of the law, you sin in all of the law. That's excellent. That's also that's also that's great. Like, yeah, that's insightful. That's good. That makes sense. Um, I just looked it up because I have the English in front of me. It's the word. The word is a. It's a. It's a universalizing word. If like you've heard of uh, pan anything, like a pantheist is a person who believes that everything is everything is God. Well, pan pan is a. 
pandemic. Exactly right. Um, um, pan is a pan is a universalizing word in that it's re it's referencing to all things, but the word being used here is pas, which means which is also universal, but it also has a more particular sense. And what I mean by that is, it's saying that they're being filled with each of all of these different kinds. Okay, so it's 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 saying that them the them in one twenty eight is being filled with each, but that doesn't mean every aspect of this. Not everybody's going to commit murder. Not everyone's going to have, you know, greed in a particular given over sense. Mm -hmm. But the, but they would be filled with it in that sense, <coughs> and that they would be given over to that particular thing. In the same way that the the homosexual situation was, people given over to that. In the, the kind yeah. of the, does that make sense? So it's not saying that someone who's debased could be filled with all unrighteousness, but all unrighteousness is scattered throughout. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So each kind each kind of unrighteousness would be given to them, mm. but not them as a body. It could be a particular righteousness being given over for this person, a particular unrighteousness being given over for this person. Each person is capable of being lost in one of these. Exactly. Exactly. This is that's that's great. I like that. That's good. Or just yeah, and so the, like I I really appreciate what you shared on that. That was very that was both of those things were very insightful. Thank you. Um, thank you for answer, asking a question. Yes, uh, I might be getting ahead of this here, but what uh, Colossians three put to death there? Colossians three five starting in five. Uh, put to death therefore what is in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. It goes on to say. Um, listing almost the same things, mm. right? But it tells us to where was it? Uh, yeah, but to basically kill those things, in right? Life, mm -hmm. Kill that yeah. sin. So there, there is. It, it talk about how those two go together, or mm -hmm. it's telling us to kill that sin. Yeah, but here it's saying you you can't. Mm -hmm. No, okay, so that, so that's interesting. So let's let's think about that. When he's read, at that point where he's writing the Colossians, he is talking to people that he is presuming are Christians. He's talking to people who he believes are at this point living by faith. And so the ability to put to death the old man, so to speak, is predicated on faith, not on some inherent ability. So when he's talking about these people in two in one and two. He's talking about those people who do not have that ability as a result of the fact they're not having faith. But once they do in Colossians, okay. then they can. No, mm -hmm. I think that would be I think that would be a reasonable distinction between mm -hmm. Does that make sense though? It does, but right now we're talking about how we're all guilty of these things. Mm -hmm. Yes, because this is the flow of his argument. He yeah. is saying you're all guilty. Because he's eventually he's eventually gonna talk he's kind of using this as bait. Yeah. This 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 first this part this part of Roman Romans one is like when Nathan's telling the story about the guy having done terrible things, he's telling David, he's like, oh my gosh, this guy did this terrible thing. And David's like, well, let's find him and kill him. He's a jerk. I'm going to kill him. And then he's like, yeah, that's you. And David's like, God darn it. Okay, so um, I think that's what he's doing. I think, that's I think he's exactly using it as doing. bait. Yeah, he's okay. using it as kind of like moral bait for people going, oh, yeah, oh, that homosexuality. Oh, it's icky. Yeah. Oh. And then he's like, and then there's these other things, and people are like, Oh, okay. And but I like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Because even it, you and you, I mean, he, he's, you know, eventually he gets into it in three, and I think 
in, in chapter 3, verse 9, again, not to get ahead, but I think this is where it's directing. As, as we're looking at this now, this is all setting right. up for this. He says, yes. he asks the same question. He says, what then? Right. After he's given all these different examples again, what then? Are we better than they? Mm-hmm. Not at all. For we have previously charged. What it was? What's he saying? What did he mean right. by that? Previously charged is that we just we just went over that. Right. This yeah. is what I was doing in those previous chapters. I'm lining you up for this point that all Jews doesn't matter if someone has Jewish blood in them and Greeks are all under sin. Yeah. So I think ultimately that's what he's doing in these first two chapters. Sure. He's getting everybody to that point of understanding. You're we're all under this. You know? yeah. And, it's, and and I think that's, again, some of that common ground that we find with people is that can be one of the first things we say. Our common ground with every single per- person on this is a per- person on the planet. <laughs> and listeners, too. And a person, too. <laughs> um, is, <laughs> is a sinner in need of a savior. That's that's the common ground. It's yeah, good. It's exactly right. Cool. Ah, this is awesome. All right, so a bunch of notes about 128, because um, it's really it's really helpful, kind of illustrating this stuff. Um, depraved. All right, so I wanna I wanna just kind of like highlight that word depraved for a second because I think it's it's very it's very um. I think it's very illustrative of this idea of in one eighteen when he says in one eighteen when he says that you're not glorifying that you're not glorifying God properly when he says you're given over to all sorts of ungodliness and unrighteousness that ungodliness aspect again that has to do with a lack of proper reverence or awe it is another way of saying that they are not glorifying God okay that's another way of saying they're not glorifying God. Now this word depraved, the, I'll, I'm just going to read what I wrote down here. Um, a doxology. Who's heard the term doxology? Love that song. <laughs> yeah, so he said that's the praise group. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, lit- it literally means... It, Continue. It really means... <laughs> yeah, don't stop. <laughs> Intermission, brother. Um, it literally means glorious words. Because doxo in Greek means glory or, or I glorify and doxazo actually and then logos means words that's that, that logi at the end is words so it's glorious words but this word here says a doc now again that a at the beginning is like atheist right it's a negation it's that's not there alright and here he's saying that there is a lack of proper glorification going on here. It's not exactly what he's saying, but the word is so close in concept. Um, the word is so close in concept that it actually is saying that that a depraved mind. Because sometimes we struggle with those terms, right? We see a depraved mind, and we have a we have a picture in our head of what depravity looks like. But a depraved mind literally means that that it's, it's lacking glory or there is no glory or there or it is completely opposed to glory, something like that. Okay? So that's what depraved literally means. 
that a lack of glory or opposed to glory. Hmm. Um, no, thank you. You know what? No. Yes, good point. Hey, we're all being real here, right? <laughs> Hang on, say that one more time. I'm write that down. We're being real here. No. <laughs> no, no. We're not being real. Don't say that. Depravity. Debased. Depravity, yes. In, in uh, 128, depraved, man, that's good. Um, say it's debased, but same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Debased. Now think about that. <laughs> think about the word debased. Not to be based. <laughs> it is literally without basis. Nice. The word itself means without basis. So if you are without the proper sense of awe and reverence for God, you are not glorifying him properly, and therefore you have no basis for existence. This goes back to those words that we used back in like 121. I can't remember what they are, but it has to do with the fact that once you abandon the glory of God, you have no understanding and you have no purpose. The very reason for your existence no longer exists. In some ways, you are, well, dead. Because you ostensibly don't exist at all. So what was the definition of what do you mean by dead? Uh, like glory or it is it is um, without the proper <laughs> No no it's no it's okay. Train is derailed. Let me let me explain. I'm, I'm just gonna explain this real quickly. The word the word dox doxo in terms of glory as a dox in terms of glory. It originally came from this Greek word that was just dokeo, which means to seem. All right, so something something seems one way and something seems another way, but eventually they took they took this word and kind of doubled it up a little bit, and it became doxazo, which means that that you, it seems the way it's supposed to, and glory and doxazo in that it's like talking about glorification means that you're it actually seems the way things are supposed to be. It is it is an assessment of ultimate reality. That if you're glorifying God, you are acknowledging ultimate reality. So this word puts that ah, that a in front of it. Okay? Which means that the proper way of seeming, you're, you're kind of, the proper way of seeing things, the proper way of understanding things, or how it seems to you, is completely off or non-existent. It's really complicated. Does that relate to 23, where they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God? I suspect so. Let me mm-hmm. let me make sure. Can you put That's a good. or A at the end? Would it be simple enough to say that means without? It is. It isn't necessarily. It. it yes, it, it can be that. But sometimes, sometimes the, the the prefix is so universalizing that it just says because without implies that without implies that that there is this thing and then there's an absence of a thing. But the, but the ah can be so universalizing that it's as if it never existed at all. That's good. Without doesn't even make sense. Without only makes sense if you can acknowledge that it should be with. But sometimes ah is so universalizing that it's like it never existed at all. It's. I would I would I would be reluctant to use the word without in all those situations. Because so for instance, an atheist is not saying that we're without God. He's saying there is no God. Mm. I'm thinking like of the word amused means to not. Isn't that what it means to without thinking? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I, I don't. Know, I don't know. I think that's what yeah. Because means is pondering, right. thinking, <clears throat> not uh, thinking. What easily amused? 
Well, that you can go a long ways. I think that's Latin, though. I don't know. I don't know what the off prefix oh, of Latin yeah. means. See, Latin. maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter. I thought Latin's word ends in a, didn't they? What's that? Pig Latin. Oh, pig Latin. Muse day. I just looked up in my Greek uh, thesaurus. Fun. And it was debased and Democrat were <laughs> interchanged back here. <laughs> Strike that from the record. <laughs> <laughs> Who's editing this? <laughs> See, this what's, is what's the time? This is how we're going to make it bigger. Right now? 24, <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. 24. I was amused. I was amused. There's your fire. I was amused. Not thinking. I was not demused. I was unused. Oh, my gosh. I'll be famous in no time. Keep it real. <laughs> All right. So you pointed out in Colossians 3, there was a list that was kind of similar to this, right? So sometimes people will see these lists and they'll assume that these lists kind of include everything. Right. Like if you look in Galatians 5 and you see the, the fruits of the Spirit, people will be like, well, that's all of them. No. Like, like there's, there's a lot of different ways of expressing the fruits of the Spirit. Or there's a lot of different ways of going sinful, right? So when you see these lists, you, you can never think that they're, that they're universal. Like, like he's like, and that's it. That's the, that's the end of the possibility. Okay? He's just... But he's, but he's covering so many things here that it's clear, again, from my, from my opinion, that right here, he's trying to cover every possible mm. personality disorder and issue and sin and challenge that any of these people could possibly have. So eventually, he'll hit home with somebody. Mm. Or they'll be like, eh, yeah. I didn't kill anybody. Oh, I guess I'm disobedient to parents. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he threw Faithless in there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just in the sense of <coughs> being turned over to a depraved mind included not having faith. Now, see, that that's something that is, he's just going to hit over and over and over. He is going to juxtapose this idea of if you're doing unrighteousness, that, that, isn't, that isn't the fact, that isn't the notion that you're unrighteous. That's, that's the reality that you don't have faith. He is mm -hmm. constantly taking this idea that's of good. saying you either have faith or you're doing unrighteousness. And, and it's like, you might think that there's, that there's a lot of kind of like conceptual space between those two, but that's not the way he's presenting it. He's presenting it as, you have faith, or you are doing unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> faith that... Go. You sure? Don't, Don't do that right now. Go. <laughs> Matthew 7. Right? Just thinking through this. In light of what you just said right now, Matthew huh? 7, where he says... Depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Yes, yeah, exactly right. It's exactly what he's getting at. He's not taught you. Because our understanding of that is that these are wicked people that are doing really bad things behind the scenes while they're trying to do all these spiritual things. That's not what he's saying there. Right. He's saying, no, you don't have faith. Right. Exactly right. You're not a believer. Yeah. The, and he, he puts the explanation point on that when he says, I never... <coughs> Knew you, right? He didn't say I once knew you and you. He said I never right. knew you. And and if you think about think about that idea of knowing, right? That idea mm -hmm. of like kind of an intimacy that comes with knowing. Yeah. The reality is that you. The only reason that you can trust God is because you know Him. Mm -hmm. You can, you're not going to trust something, and that's what the word faith is. Faith faith in our culture is used as this kind of like wish list, right? 
and that's garbage. Like, mm -hmm. like it's no wonder there's so much misunderstanding about it. It has nothing to do with me trusting in something that I know nothing about or can't foresee or have no evidence of or whatever. Right. It's just not. That's not the way the word. That's not what the word means at all. Mm -hmm. But in fact, you only trust somebody that you know. Mm -hmm. So if you know Christ, you're going to trust Him. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you're not going to sin. But that practicing of, of that practicing of wickedness, that practicing of unrighteousness. That is, in fact, well, think through, think forward to um, Hebrews eleven six, where it says, yeah. with, "Without without faith, it is impossible to please yeah. God." And you might think to yourself, "Well, how is that possible? There are lots of really good people out there doing lots of really good things. Whatever the reason for their instinct, it has to do with them reflecting the image of God within them. But it's not out of a, it's not out of trust in God. Mm -hmm. They don't know God, and they're not, and so they're not glorifying God properly. So now we're back to this idea of dokimos, like what does it mean to do something that is opposed to the way it seems it's supposed to be? Well, if you're doing if you're doing something that you perceive as righteousness, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons, functionally something having to do with your own glorification and not God's glorification, then that is in fact unrighteousness in and of itself. Mm -hmm. That's good. I got a lot of stuff. We're half an hour in, and we're, we're still on 128. Isn't that fun? I'm doing good. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I wrote down here, as in 121, Paul stresses that people who have turned from God are fundamentally unable to think and decide correctly about God and his will. They're going to do things not proper. So that word not proper, or how? what are some other translations at the end of 128? I have not proper... Not fitting. Not fitting. That's the right one. That's the right one. Sure. That's I just said gay. I just said gay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the message? <laughs> I'm not to the I don't. I don't see <laughs> Eugene Peterson ready. Oh my gosh. Um, the word literally means that it's not ordered or it's not any part of any plan or purpose. That they're doing something that is completely without order or without like it just makes no sense. Why are they doing that? It's like if you had if you had a say you were doing some one of your manly tasks that you do in here, Mr. Swenson. <laughs> manly tasks. And you and you did like the you did the the countertop before you had anything to set it on. You'd say that's kind of dumb. I'm gonna say I have no place to put it now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Out of order. Counterproductive. Thank you very much. Counter. Outstanding. Counter. <laughs> An excellent counterpoint. That Jessup man. That did it for you. Very good. All right. All right. Moving on. We already talked about uh, 129 and 131. Where that it's this it's this series of vice. It's a series of vice list. It's this vice list dealing with all these things that are in order. All the different commentaries I read, every commentary I read, everyone says, well, this looks like it's the pattern, or this looks like it's the pattern, or this looks like it's the pattern. But again, when you look in Colossians 3.5, you see an abridged list of this, but then you see some things in that list that aren't here, right? Paul is not, I don't, I don't think that Paul is like saying, and then I have to reference my vice list and be like, I have to brrr, and then cover all these things. He is literally just kind of doing these right off the top of his head, looking through all these different, all these different, I shouldn't speak for Paul, I guess. But he's doing all these things off, that he's just like going through all these things that are self-evident sins. And to say, it counts in all these other things. And again, I think he's trying to reach the people who at this point are a little bit self-righteous, saying, well, at least I'm not one of those homosexuals. 
And he's like, and that's for the rest of you. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, 132 is one of my favorite verses, and I, there's a bunch of different things that we can say about it. But I regularly call it the group therapy for sinners verse, which basically means that they know, that is, we know, <coughs> when we're Let's... doing when we're doing something wrong, we know we're doing something wrong, and because we're doing something that is disordered. Because we're doing something that is opposed to God's glory. Because we're doing something that we know seems wrong. We, in fact, need somebody to kind of like pat us on the back. To say, no, no, no. It's okay. That feeling that you have, just ignore it. Hmm. Just push it down, right? Hmm. Just don't, just ignore it. Shove it down. Make sure, make sure you don't have to deal with it. Hmm. Right? That's, that's the idea there. And so... So much of the just really like astonishing illogic that we see in the public sphere right now, where people will say things that every human being who hears those words says, down deep says that's not true. I know that's not true. When you listen to when you listen to some of the transgender talk right now, everybody knows they hear this discussion. They're like, you can't call a man a woman. It just doesn't. Nobody believes that deep down. But they're all pretending to because they have their own vices. And so they're like, I have to be able to pat you on the back so that you'll pat me on the back and we'll all just stand around and pretend like we're not a complete mess. I think you nailed that. You see that so often of how people just want you to agree with them so they feel justified in what they're doing. It's all the time. I think time. I think we... Skip over this a little bit. Or this, I don't think I've ever read this section in a, a thirty, where it says, or, "Yeah, thirty. They invent ways of doing evil." I feel like that describes our society. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't go and see many movies, but like when I do, and it's just like one, I'll you know, like do a lot of research or just go watch it. You know. Yeah. It's like, this is ridiculously. This is just what everybody's watching. And it just is funny. And you're like, I just want to leave. Yeah. Or like, this just, don't just pull my head down. Yeah. And it just seems like there's such a plot of evil. Or such a plot of wanting to skew your mind to say that, yeah, this is bad, but it's funny. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. And it just, and I'm, I'm 26 or whatever, but it seems like even 10 years ago that this would be so unaccepted I mean, you can film mm-hmm. like what it is, but it yeah. just seems like it's legitimately just inventing evil, and our society's encouraging it. Yeah, in such a scary way. Yeah. Were you in youth when we did the um, the answers in Genesis, and it talked about the media's influence and how, like, the average like ten years ago, the the average teen ingested like six hours of media a day, whether it was radio or movies or music and that that they argued and that's was the biggest influencer and teacher in the united states was media was hollywood was music um because that is really where the envelope gets pushed and at first it's like oh can you believe what these guys are singing about and eventually it's on ks95 and family shows right. quote quote family shows are playing some of the songs that are that are getting played or things that are allowed in movies and, and it just becomes, you know, you go back and leave it to Beaver and it wasn't 60 years ago that you couldn't even put a bathroom on TV and um, that was, you know, that was a big deal when the bathroom was on TV and right. now what's even on over-the-air broadcast is things that 
like Lucas said, 15 years ago, what in the world? How did that get on TV? Yeah. But if you're not careful, I think that's important because that's what, and that's what Hollywood is. They're the ones that latch on to the, the 5% that are the very vocal minority on whatever transgender issues or whatever it is and makes us all feel like we're, we're bigots or we're racist or we're closed-minded because we have values and morals that mm-hmm. aren't based on how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's, what's so absurd about that, the bigotry term, is that we're not judging a group in any way. We are saying these things mm-hmm. are wrong. But we're saying it in a totality. We're saying it about everything. We're there too, yeah, right? It's a, well, it's a, the reality is like, this is, this, is, this is a fight that we need to do together. And so we're not wagging our finger at anybody. Although some people are on the side. Um, that's the, the that, that one just, <clears throat> it just scares me. And you read all those and they're obvious and they're bad. Yeah. But they invent ways of doing evil. It's literally like describing a platform of mm. watch out. Because we have no idea what's coming, yeah. but it's sin, and yeah. and it's going to be worse. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, like, if somebody's a God-hater or a slanderer, it's, I mean, you don't put your finger on it, but you can say, or murder. I mean, it's, that's what they did. It's the title. Yeah. And they invent evil. They put a patent on making evil. I mean, it's like... Yeah, it's true. It's the, like that TV show Sister Wives, you know, or the guy that had, <laughs> like, seven wives, you know, like, that's something we all look at and say, that's crazy, but in ten years... We're gonna be there. <laughs> it's I think gonna it's be important okay. to know that, like, the stuff it's talking about has already been invented, but it's just in the shadows right now. Yeah, yeah right. That's true. Or like, that's good. Or I mean, like, maybe you, you browse Netflix and you look for something watch, and you're just looking at titles. And I feel like that's a great explanation of they're inventing new bad titles because it catches your eye. Yeah. Especially somebody that might be looking for sin. They're going, wow, they got away with putting that on there. I got to see what this is about. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I just—I mean, like as a as a youth group, or as that's more my kind of where I'm, I more of my community. I, oh. Media and media is like is an easy target for it because that's the things that we see. But it's like to to your point. I mean, the what's the the HBO show Big Love that was out a while back? Well, that was that was a Tom Hanks production. That was his. That was entirely his baby, and he created this show about Mormon with a few wives. Hmm. It was, you know, the the guy that we had imagined was was kind of a kind of a perceived Jimmy Stewart kind of a guy, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Stewart had his own problems. And even saying that, I'm kind of falling into my own trap. But we would we would see that you know he's he's actively normalizing deviant marital ideas, the kind of things that Lamech did, who said you know mm-hmm. God God's got nothing on me. Um, and then the other, my other thought on that is that um, years ago, this was this was back in Massachusetts. I was reading an article, uh, this uh, particular horror movie director, and he was talking about the movie that he had made. It was in a, it was in a, a book that was kind of like just I think it was in commentary, um, and he was the interview with this guy was saying that he was in the, one of the scenes that he was shooting was so horrific and startling. That while he was in the process of doing it, he felt this overwhelming sense. And in the interview, he swears, but he's like, "What, what the f am I doing?" Mm. Like this, this like sudden sense of like, 
moral compunction saying, this is terrible. Hmm. What am I doing? Hmm. And then he actively says in the interview, and that's exactly the reaction I wanted everybody to have, so I just pushed it down so that I could finish the scene. I literally, you go, you go back to, they suppress the truth on righteousness, that's literally what he sure. did in that situation. Yeah. He suppressed it. Yeah, no. That's a good example. Hmm. It was so illustrative. This is all in the seminary. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a sermon waiting to happen if you do a sermon on a interview with a horror movie director. I was like, wow, that's, it's so illustrative. Yeah. I think, it, yeah. I want to stay away from the what the F, too. Well, but I, I want I wanted I wanted I'm just to, but I want yeah, well, yes I, I I get I get your point but I wanted I wanted to like yeah you okay I got you and a sermon and a sermon I, I got you, I got you right you get an icebreaker attention yeah. everything goes at men's Bible study. hey it was a, it was a yeah this, yeah a few years ago I was trying to mimic Driscoll and I guess we kind of given that up he's back he's back back attack. Back attack. All right, moving on, chapter two. So, at this point, he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. Every one of you who passes judgment. At this point, he has taken this insanity that's so easily illustrated with homosexuality and has said that all these other behaviors are equally as insane, trying to give, get under everybody's skin. And then he goes on and even kind of like heaps on top of that so if you think you're better, mm -hmm. if you think you're better because you're not doing those things, you're worse off than you're actually thinking. Because you believe somehow your self-righteousness will deliver you. Mm -hmm. it, it is so illustrative of the, the Pharisee saying, thank you God that I'm not like this guy. <laughs> it's so illustrative of that. Um, so, quick contextual question: Is he talking so from the perspective of you guys are Christians that are misguided, or you're not Christians and you think you are? And I'm trying to get you mm -hmm. to understand what I'm saying here, or like you know what I mean? I think I think he answers that in verse two. <laughs> Whoever you are, good, right? Yeah. Therefore, you are an excusable old man. Whoever you are, who do what right. judge? Right. I think. I think this is. I think man, he is. You. I think at this point he is including in the flow of his argument. He's talking to a Christian church, and so he understands that these people are living in a pagan culture, and they're beginning to see kind of the oracles of God in the in the way that and to the degree that they're understanding it. And he's concerned of the fact that they're misunderstanding this, and probably partaking of it in some self righteous way, which is which is so normal. Right? You go to most Christian churches, there is this like self-righteousness permeating it. It's just part of the part of the, the air that we breathe in these situations. <clears throat> and so I think he's just using it rhetorically because and here's and here's the reason. Um, he is using the, the you, there's there's a there's a you in Greek that is singular, and there's a you in Greek that's plural. And here he's using a singular you, which suggests he's using this argumentative technique that just is a way of, like, it's the same thing he says, so, so, so then you say, who is, who, who is God to judge then? And then he says back to him, oh man, like, like it's, it's a rhetorical device. Mm. I think he's, yes, talking to everybody, but at the same time he's not, he's not talking to everybody. He's using it as a, 
as an argumentative device. Like you read some apologetic stuff and they'll say, well, this person said that, and that person said that, and that person said that. It's just an illustration. It's a way of kind of talking through an argument so that you can kind of hear both sides of the discussion. I, I really think that's probably what's going on there. It doesn't mean that he's not talking to people. It's just that at the same time, he's not talking to anybody in particular. He knows that this applies to some people. Mm -hmm. Because inevitably, in every church, it does. Yeah. And inevitably, in each of our lives, it does. Mm -hmm. Because we... Because we think that we're, we know that we're sinful in these particular ways, and we're like, but I'm fine in that way. And it's just like, sin, sin is total gravity is an idea that it, it doesn't, it doesn't ruin everything, but it infects everything. Mm. Everything is not completely corrupt, but everything is infected with corruption. Mm. And so the possibility of corruption can pop up in any of these other places. It's all under the curse. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, he again. I think he, he's, he's, he's. It's almost like he's working categories here. Yeah. In a sense, he's just like, oh, I'm going to see to it that by the time I get to chapter 3, not that he's thinking chapters, right? Right. <laughs> but in our case, we know that it's chapter 3. Right. <clears throat> by the time I get to chapter 3, I'm going to have everybody in the same boat by the time I get there. Right. So there's 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 these who are, so he uses a template. Mm -hmm. Right. And then and then he says, and then there's all these other things. Yeah. And now he's like, now, now I'm going to move on to these who, who would judge against these things, like you're saying, self-righteous, yeah. um, that would say, well, you know, that would, you know, maybe maybe this is your rich young ruler, in a sense, you know, right? Yeah, you're saying, right. all these I've kept since I was a youth. Right. You know, I mean, right. yeah. okay, sure. Excellent. Very good. That's you know. exactly right. <clears throat> yeah, the rich young ruler is a, is, a, is a perfect illustration of that, because it was, it was in fact, this... His, his sense of I'm doing okay insulated him from his own kind of like subtle greed that has that had infected his own existence mm -hmm. he didn't real he didn't even realize because he was busy doing all the things all those other things mm -hmm. so maybe he wasn't any of those things on that vice list except for greed and he could kind of compare himself and he's like I'm not unloving and I'm taking mm -hmm. care of my mother and all this you know like that he's imagining that he's doing all these things properly but that one little thing kind of snuck in the back door Mm -hmm. And he didn't. He didn't realize it because he was so busy being right, imagining that he was something in all these other ways. Mm -hmm. It insulated him. It kind of inoculated him from actually feeling mm. the sinfulness in his own life. Yeah, and then boom, he's outed. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, like, he's faced with this reality, and then he walks away. Yeah, I guess this isn't for me. Yeah, in that sense, he puts. You know, he, he's exposed for being in the same boat with everybody else. Yeah. And I mean, speaking speaking from my own kind of, you know, anecdotal spiritual experience, I'm sure we've all experienced this at some point where you know that it just feels like there's a, a huge kind of like maybe spiritual or kind of situational or physical wall that's going on in your life and you're really struggling to kind of overcome this. And at some point you realize that you want this thing in a way that is demanding of your your awe. It's, it's demanding, it's becoming something, a sense of kind of like self-glorification to you in a way that you hadn't even anticipated. And the necessity of letting it go and saying, your will be done. Mm -hmm. And in my own experience, about 80% of the time, God ends up giving it to me anyway. Mm -hmm. But literally, I had to be like, I had to reach a point in my heart, and it wasn't, it can't be facile, it can't be something where you're like, okay, I don't really want it. And then, like, pretend somehow. You really need to, like, come to a point where you're like, yeah. 
God is enough. Christ is enough. And he's already given you that desire for that thing for a particular purpose, but he wants you to want him more than the thing. Yeah. He wants the giver, he wants you to want the giver more than the gift. And so he'll restrain you from it until you actually let go of it, and then he gives you the thing he was going to give you anyway. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that's, that's just... Nice. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. What did you say, man? It was Rachel for me. Well, that was one of them. There's many. I could... Many, many, many wives? Many, <laughs> many wives. Yeah, okay. Oh, what were somebody saying about the... There were many of them. Hey, that's not on the list. Not me. Shut up. Uh, yeah, yeah sure. I don't do those things. That's not on the list. <laughs> no judge. That was good. Outstanding. Uh... Now, Jews are not mentioned in the opponents in, the, in this thing until verse 16. So listen, he does talk about the law starting in verse 11. I, am, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily in a minority here because there are some, there are some very particularly learned guys who, who think, feel the same way about this that I do, but a lot of them don't. And most commentaries and a lot of, a lot of the study Bibles you're going to read are going to say, at, two, at, verse, at verse 1 of chapter 2, he starts talking to Jews. And I just don't see evidence for that because he kind of introduces the law later on as the pinnacle of the, of the, of the source of self-righteousness. You believe that you follow the law, but you don't really. And he's like, the law only exposes your sin. So if you believe that you're righteous and yet you, are, yet you, say that you follow the law, you're, you're the worst kind of self-righteousness that I'm talking about. I think he's, again, I think he's leading up to kind of the pinnacle of it. He's starting at the, the most base thing and moving on up to the people who have the oracles of God and should know better, but in fact still are trusting in themselves. Mm -hmm. I really think this is just a slope going up and up and up and up and up to the people who are like, you actually have the words of God and you still think somehow that you're self-righteous in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I, think, I think that's the trajectory of the argument. I think he's just going up a slope to like the people who have the law inside of them but are still doing it, like they're showing that the law is real because that law is going to either defend or accuse them in the day of Christ. He's, he's, he's talking about kind of a universalizing conscience that everybody knows that certain things are right and everybody knows that certain things are wrong. And then he's kind of going up and up and up to the point where he's going to hit to his point where he's like, and you guys have the actual words of God discussing this and you still are doing this. That's how universal sin is. Even if God tells you exactly what he wants you to know, you still end up doing that. Does it really matter if he's talking to Jews or Gentiles here? Um, no, but I, don't, I wouldn't say that it necessarily does. But my concern is that sometimes people, in order to get out of what, frankly, again, I'm going to use this word, total depravity, in order to get out of this notion of total depravity, they will try and restrict it to saying... He's just talking about works of the law here. This is famous within a, uh, there's a, there's a group called the, the New Perspective on Paul. Um, That's the name of the group? It's, it's, been, called, it's been called no, the New Testament. Of new, new, what's that? It's a good God. brand name. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, like snakes on a and the most famous, I mean, the most famous one is N.T. Wright, who's got a lot to commend. I mean, this guy's got a lot of good stuff. But they have this idea that works of righteousness that, are, that, that Paul is talking about here is restricted to works of righteousness within the Mosaic Law. And so my and so it would be my desire to talk about this idea of works of righteousness being a much more broad concept. 
in that at this point he's not necessarily talking to Jews. He's talking to anybody who has a sense of right and wrong and yet is not acting out of faith. So works of righteousness to them would be saying, well, I do nice things and I'm nice to my neighbor and I don't like kill anybody. That's, it's very much like kind of the pagan concepts of right and wrong that we see in our own society. I, wouldn't, I don't want it to be restricted to exclusively works of the law in terms of circumcision, uh, doing the proper sacrifices, dietary laws, and that kind of stuff. And that's what the new perspective on Paul is trying to do. They're trying to restrict it to just that thing. And I think that's been a, a terrible, I think that has meant, has had a terrible effect on like faithful academic Christians in our country. I think what new perspective on Paul, on Paul has done to academic Christianity in this country is terrible. Um, and I'm not just talking about eggheads who don't believe in Jesus. I'm talking about Christians who are academics because this because N.T. Wright has infected a lot of people with this bad thinking. And I just I don't think it's I don't think it's justified by, by the text. Now, on the other hand, I have implications as to how people interpret uh, Romans nine differently. Very much so. Yes, yes, because at that point, at that point. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I don't. It's that, no, no. Because it, yes, I, I think it definitely is. Because again, he, you would perceive the the, act, the 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 matter of dealing with the Jews. They would say he already dealt with it in chapter two, and so some people who are saying that Romans nine through eleven is just Paul like having this like entire excursus. So if you're reading a commentary, they'll say excursus, and they'll talk about something for like eight pages, and that just means that. The commentary has stopped here, and here we're going to talk about a concept for a while to kind of help round things out a little bit. But it's not actually dealing with the commentary. It's like doing a word study of all the biblical ideas and all the relevant, like, no, like extra biblical Greek and Roman and Hebrew stuff, right? Um, there are prominent Christians who insist that 9 through 11 is an excursus, that 9 through 11 has nothing to do with the logic of the flow of the argument. And they do that out of Soteriological necessity. They they need that they need that to not be part of the argument, so that they can come to the conclusion about Romans nine that they already want to come to, um, and it's appalling. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's an appalling. Ah, we'll get there. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's um, no, appalling. good. What's that? Ah, <laughs> uh, Paul. Uh, oh, look at you. Very no, good. Not appalling. <laughs> nice. Oh, my time here. Ah, congratulations. Minute 39. Seth yeah, Mills, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be here all night. Apparently. What's <laughs> soteriology? we got about 10 minutes left. Can you define soteriology? Yes. Uh, soteriology just means save. So soteriology talks about salvation. Soteriology is like... I apologize. I'm sorry. I just threw that word out. I'm, I'm sorry about that. You said a different one that I didn't know, but I can't even think what it was to ask you. I'm sorry. Please stop. <laughs> you guys can have like paintballs or something. If I use some dumb mm-hmm. word that mm-hmm. I just throw, it's like, yeah, air sucked in there. I like that idea. Right. And you you know you know it's been a productive night if like I just like there's like just paint and there's just like like this like silhouette of me behind behind there like something from Bugs Bunny. Soteriology is a reference to like the doctrine of salvation. Like how do we understand how salvation happens? Soteriology is a word that is would be used to talk about, well, anything anything having to do with being saved. Okay. Um, kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Nine through eleven. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. So, 
first two. How are we doing here? <clears throat> okay. Um, verse two. This verse shows that the por- that this portion may be a reiteration of what proceeded from one eighteen to one twenty-seven. Let me explain that. In verse two, Paul writes, my translation, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. This is the argument of all of 118 through 127. So at this point, he is saying, you believe that you're righteous because of whatever goodness you have in you, but you know that you do some of these things. And we've already talked about the fact that the judgment of God is being revealed in you as a result of, is, is being revealed in you as a result of the fact that you are embodying these sins, okay? So I think that two, that verse 2 is in fact a reference to all of 118 through 127, talking about that we've already talked about how the judgment, about how the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he's saying, we just talked about how that is being revealed. So you know that you do these things, we know that you do these things, and because he says in there that, that we know Either that we know is like, well, you know, which he's probably not saying, right? Or if he's, or if he's saying, we've already talked about this, mm-hmm. which is more likely. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You see how complicated sometimes this is? It, and the, the, what's interesting is that when you, when you talk to a, when you talk to a, when you talk to a believer, when you talk to them about these passages, sometimes you listen to their words and you're just like, you instinctually know this. You really, like, God is revealing it to you. That thing about the Holy Spirit, like, showing showing the believer what is true, I really, because it doesn't matter how complicated you make this, the, the, the simplest, the, sim, the, the worst reader in the world can still get the message because they just say, this is, this is clearly what you're saying. Verse by verse. Yeah. And so, like, my, my wife was talking to me the other night, she's like, well, you're always talking about, she wasn't, she wasn't saying that, she was saying, I don't get into all these, like, really super complicated discussions. And, and my point to her was, the only reason super complicated discussions exist is to deal with bad ideas. The only reason that that like mm-hmm. summary prayers or fighting over the Trinity or uh, like the, the, the apostles the Apostles Creed the only reason that any of that stuff was necessary is to combat bad ideas. The only reason for all those theology books was to like debate ideas to to combat bad ideas. It's the only reason it all exists. Um, other than that, we could just read this, and everyone would be like, yes. That's right? what it's saying. Yeah, exactly, because we know that's what it's saying. Because yeah. what I'm telling you guys, I, I, this, here's my belief. What I'm telling you guys, you might say, oh yeah, that's interesting, that makes sense. But you already kind of instinctually knew that he was going that way with it. You may not have said, that's the logical flow of it, but I believe that you're reading this. I really believe this, guys. I believe that when you're reading this, you already kind of knew he is saying, you think you're so cool, but you're not, because you do you do these other things as well. Even if you didn't know exactly what these things are, you knew that it was sin, and you knew that they felt self-righteous about it, and you had enough information to be able to figure it out on your own. So when we're sitting here talking about this, I'm trying to my goal is to help you to kind of think through the details of this, because eventually you're going to come up with you're going to bump into a bad idea. Eventually somebody's going to say something and be like, I don't think that's what that says at all, and they'll be blah, 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 blah. and you'll say, no, 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 no. Because at that point you would have learned to kind of like deal with the individual words in such a way that you can easily combat that in your head and in your heart and, and, and help kids in 
youth group or whatever else, right? Because you're like, that's not really what it means. Here's, what, here's what's really going on. Talk, you know, let's look at this word. What does that word mean? What does that, what's that, what's that, what's that word talk? So it's good. Anyway. That, yeah, that's great. Um, all right. But do you suppose this? Uh, verse 3. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So, all right. Was that? Two Outstanding. Minutes. Thank you, sir. Um, the kindness of God. I remember when I first read that, and I thought, well, okay. Because when you hear kindness, you think to yourself, well, does that mean he's being nice? <laughs> well, no, it doesn't really. It actually means that he's not destroying you. It actually means that you're not in hell right now. Mm-hmm. That's what the kindness of God is. Yeah. You're not there right now. And so the kindness of God has to be taken in light of this idea that God's kindness is the same thing at times as your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay? I told you, I, I know, I, I love this. I, the thing up at the, up the walk on water and that guy goes... For beating the sheep. I just thought that was so funny. And I just like, it's a perfect illustration because like, what's the rod for? It's for beating oh, yeah. the sheep. And I was just, I just, that was brilliant. I'm like, oh my gosh. Did somebody record this? That's fantastic. Because that's God's kindness. Your rod and your staff, the thing that occasionally will cause me pain, causes me comfort. Because I know you haven't let go of me. And when you discipline me, Know that you still care. It is evidence. It it increases my faith because I know you're still with me. Mm-hmm. And that even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid because I know that you're with me because sometimes you... Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the idea of God's kindness. And so the fact that he hasn't sent these these believers in this situation to hell, whatever whatever that, whatever their, whatever their kind of like spiritual situation is, that he that is God just being tolerant and patient and kind, and that if you think you can judge other people and God has not judged you at this point, you have got your whole system completely inverted. Mm. Alright, that's 12-4. Goodbye. Bye!